0: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business.
1: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business channel. Now, here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
2: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome on this beautiful Friday to Leading Conversations. We're very pleased to have a special guest with us today, Stuart Emery, to talk about leadership and what's love got to do with it. Welcome, Stuart.
3: Yes, it's a delighted to be here. I love doing radio. I always think of it as <laughs> television for people with imagination.
2: Oh, there you go.
3: Yes.
2: Well, Stuart, um, you've been described as a very successful entrepreneur. Um, I know you do executive coaching, and you are um, quite a leader throughout your life, and you served as the first CEO of EST, and I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to talk about what that is, because I know there are some of our listeners who are a little young. They may not know what EST is, and and you've also been considered and still are considered um, one of the fathers of the human potential movement and I absolutely agree with that Um, you have been responsible for a lot of individuals personal development and personal success so today um, we want to talk about leadership and what's love got to do with it you're a co-author of a book called success built to last creating a life that matters and in this book You had the opportunity, you and your co-authors, Jerry Porras and and Mark Thompson, had the opportunity to interview many, many people. And I want to talk about your process and how you did that and what the amazing results were when you spoke to these people. So first let me ask you, um, let's let's go back to what first got you as an individual interested in the potential of
3: human beings um i think that i i always remember from a child i was fascinated about why things worked and why they didn't Mm. and and i thought i was uh, and and i was socially not very skilled i kind of grew up in isolation in 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 uh, poor circumstances in the blue mountains of australia Mm. and my father At my mother i was conceived he went off to the war got hurt came back died and uh, it was very unpretentious beginning and and i always thought i was going to be an engineer because i felt socially awkward and i thought well since there's only two kinds of people i have trouble with men and women i should be an engineer and deal with things (laughs) but i somehow I, i went to sydney university and i started to get intrigued with psychology and philosophy um and uh But also, my parents were artists, so the artistic genes kicked in and I became a creative director of an ad agency. Interesting. Um, But then I woke up one morning and two things were clear. Uh, One, I'd solved the problem of being poor, Hmm. so I had enough stuff to start my own world. Hmm. And two, I I was having this kind of conflict about my profession because I realized we're in the business of uh, telling people that if their deodorant failed, their life would and and that the only way to be happy was to consume the right stuff. Mm. And I consumed a lot of the right stuff, and and I wasn't a happy camper. And so that rekindled my interest in what I'd almost learned at university about psychology and philosophy. Mm. And about that time, a man uh, who truly could be considered the father of the human potential movement, George Leonard. Yeah. George Leonard was uh, a senior editor at Look Magazine, and in the in the 60s he did an issue of uh, Look Magazine devoted to what was going on in California. So we had, you know, Esalen was kind of starting out, and, uh, uh, you know, there was stuff going on in the Haight-Ashbury, and we had the right. Grateful Dead, we had that whole scene. Right. And, and George actually in a conversation with Michael Murphy, one of the co-founders of Esalen, and Mike Murphy said, George, what are you going to call this? And George said, I, th- I think we ought to call it the Human Potential Movement.
2: That's great.
3: And it just resonated for me so serendipitously. I came to the United States on assignment for a client. And I stood in the corner of Hayton Ashbury in 1971. And I looked around and I said, Stuart, you're not in, well, not in Sydney anymore. It's like, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> And it was woo and I, I came for a couple of weeks almost forty years ago, I'm still here. Wow. wow. And I just got engaged because you know, I realized that our internal experience was in fact not dependent upon external circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I resonated to uh, Joseph Campbell, you know who had an interview with Bill Moyer. Bill Moyer said, Well aren't people searching for meaning? And he said, well, I know that's become a popular notion, but I think actually what they hunger for is a decent experience of being alive. Oh, wow. And he didn't use the word decent. He probably said a wonderful experience Mm -hmm. of being alive or superior. But anyhow, that spoke to me. And so I just got involved. And here we are a long time later.
2: Well, and that takes courage. I mean, you've talked about how people... um step into new opportunities and leave behind something that they know and that takes courage and yet um, there tends to be a kind of person who doesn't see that as courage, who just sees that as
3: something you're supposed to do. Well, it's interesting because I was about to say that. I was going to say, Sheldon, that that didn't seem courageous to me. Now people say, wait a minute, you were famous in your field in Australia, you were incredibly successful And you just left a cold turkey to come to a a new land and pursue a new field in which you had no previous experience. Are you mad? (laughs) Well, maybe. Uh, But it just seemed like that was the thing to do. I, I think of myself as a passionately curious person. Oh, interesting. And so far, I've followed my curiosity, and it's turned out very well. Oh, I like that. You followed your curiosity. So well, I followed my passion, which happened to be passionately curious. Passionately curious.
2: Yes, That's great. Well, now, and you've written other books besides Successful to Last, um, Actualizations. You don't have to rehearse to be yourself. I love that title.
3: Yeah, I mean, that um, was almost thirty years ago. Oh, um, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and in Actualizations. Um, actually, you, actually, uh, you spent time um, conducting workshops around that, right?
3: Yes. So, because so, you know, the next thing is that I was the first CEO of Est and the first person other than Werner Earhart to lead the Est training. Mm. And, um, you know, Est was the first of the big self improvement public seminar programs.
2: Right.
3: And uh, in its time, it was wonderful. It was wonderful theater. And at its best, it made a huge contribution to people's lives, you know. And, and Werner was a controversial figure. He had his bout with success induced megalomania, and that happens to people. Hmm. Uh, However, we we shouldn't throw out the fact that the training was spectacular in its time, and it was.
2: There were um, quite a few breakthroughs, emotional and personal breakthroughs for people, and I would say transformative experiences. And some of the controversy uh, I know uh, existed around the style of F. And um, um, I don't know. The word "militant" seems a little bit, a bit
4: yes. extreme,
2: well, but but there was some requirements. Yeah, well, it was it's
3: what you call a pattern interrupt that you've got to ah. you've got to somehow break through people's ordinary habits which keep them asleep. But well, I was being interviewed by uh, Diane Baker at Business Week, and she said, "You know, you spoke to these remarkable people." She yeah. said, first off, I how did you get?" three or four hundred of the world's most successful people to actually sit down and have an open conversation with you. Hmm. So that's, a, that was, that's a, a, d- a longer answer. But then she said, and so if I go back to days at Est, which nobody will ever let you forget, what parallels or similarities if any, are there between what you were teaching at Est and how these people live their lives? And I said, there's some amazing parallels. I mean, we talk to people about this concept of you know, you are at the end of the day responsible or accountable for the quality of your life. You're not a victim. Mm-hmm. And you talk to these very successful people, they, they almost don't talk about that because in their mind it's just a given. Right. They never see themselves as victims and it never occurs to them that they're not responsible and not accountable for creating the kind of life that they want for themselves and for the people they care about.
2: Right, right.
3: Um, and you know that was such a core idea, and and so that's a timeless idea.
2: A timeless idea that um, we many of us are still working on, right? I mean, the society in general is working on this. Yes. Um, and it seems that our um, victim mentality has reached new highs in our society, and um, I'm I'm curious to to know what you um, what you think about that. What you think about you why this is happening so much in wow. our world. And um, and we are going to get to that question after we come back from this break. Great. Right.
0: From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business.
1: it has been said that to live is to choose but to choose well you must know who you are and what you stand for where you want to go and why you want to get there on reap what you sow with host performance management specialist and executive coach Alana Daly achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse reap through redefining your goals educate your mind your body your conscious and unconscious apply what you learn and plan and it shall be success over and over again and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daily. Broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow, learn the rules of the game, then play better than anyone else
4: Voice America
0: Business. 401's Stock, Mortgage, Retirement, Wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: We're speaking with Stuart Emery today, co-author of *Success Built to Last: Creating a Life That Matters*. And just before break, Stuart, we were talking about the element of human potential and how breaking through um, patterns that people have is how you create change. And and you said that in that there's the the element of victimhood. That, you know, there really is no such thing as a victim. We put ourselves in that position. Yep. And I, I'm curious as to why, you're, why you believe that, or wh- why you think, that at this stage of our society's development, there seems to be this, such a high level of what I call victimhood. You know, it's everybody else's fault. that you know, Nobody wants to take responsibility for what's going on. Why yes. do you think that is?
3: Well, you know, it's just a conditioned reality we've lived in from, Memoriam. I was on, on the phone to Jim Collins a while ago who wrote uh, Good to Great and was yeah. the original co-author with Jerry Pross of Built to Last and uh, I said well I want to talk to you about leadership and uh, Jim said you know I don't think I want to talk about leadership I said why not Jim he said well you know he said in earlier times when things happened that we didn't understand that were good or bad we always said well it was God's will or it was God's fault and he said now in business it's The word God's been replaced with the word leadership, but it's the same phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to take it one step further, uh, and this won't be a popular commentary. Mm -hmm. Although I had this conversation with the people at Mastercard, uh, which which led to their priceless campaign. Right. Uh, You know, they asked me in there, and I said, "Well, what business are you in?" Mm -hmm. And and like I got fuzzy answers, and there was Mm -hmm. a new leadership, and I said, "Well." Uh, you know, I, I hear fuzzy answers. They said, well, you're the consultant. What's your answer? I said, well, I'll answer as an ex-Australian advertising man, uh, wherein I had a PhD in cynicism, because <laughs> uh, I was a guy telling you if deodorant failed, your life would. I said, I'd say you're in the business of getting America further and further into debt to buy more of what they can never get enough of. I don't really need any way to make them happy. Ooh. And as such, you have no redeeming social value. Because the most important experiences money cannot buy. You know, uh, MasterCard's a way of facilitating logistics. Right. And long story short, that ended up uh, in the hands of a brilliant Australian marketing director at MasterCard and, and a great ad agency and became the priceless campaign. <laughs> you know, there's some things the money life can't buy for everything else is MasterCard. Mm-hmm. And, um, but where I'm going with that is, I mean, if you look at our whole languaging system mm-hmm. where, where we have a reality of victimhood and it's not just the bad stuff i mean listen to some of the songs like you made me love you i didn't want to do it that's nonsense it had <laughs> to be you no it didn't <laughs> you know things go better with coke um, Yeah. this whole this whole ponzi scheme mm. of consumerism with the implicit statement that our best experiences are caused by external phenomena. So we're either a a happy victim or a miserable victim, but either way we're a victim. Oh, wow. And people don't look at it on the happy side. So Seligman, in his just groundbreaking research on learned optimism, calls all of this a... Explanatory style. How do we explain the events in our lives, good or bad? Yes. Yes. How do we explain our experiences in life, good or bad? And the vast majority of people live in a conditioned reality wherein they think of all of this as being the result or the effect of external circumstances. So one of the core teaching ideas at Est was, are you going to live at cause or are you going to live at effect? I don't like to get into existential conversations that there is no such thing as a victim. There are people who are victims.
2: Sure, yeah.
3: but, but the vast majority of people are not victims, but they are living as though it were true that they were victims. And that is where it all breaks down. And, and, and the carnage of wasted potential and, mm. and unhappiness is just dreadful.
2: And so, and I want to get to talking about some of the people that um, you all interviewed in your book because it sounds like they don't hang out in the victim space. No. And but before we get there, I, I, my question is, how do we get out of this as a society?
3: Well, I think you've got to acknowledge that you're in it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here. I have a house guest at the moment, a fellow called Bill Harris, who. I spent a lot of time talking to people like Ken Wilber who's got a great mind and, and Zen masters and he's yes. talked about this stuff at the United Nations. And And at our point of view is that as you become aware that that's what you're doing, you can see yourself doing it. And once you see yourself doing things that are not in your best interest, mm-hmm. usually people make a change. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. So that's why we called, you know, Part of the human potential movement was all this attention on becoming aware on you know these awareness exercises yeah. because awareness doesn't change anything but it offers you choice. You can't right. stop what you're doing unless you notice that you're actually doing it.
2: Unless you know you're doing it, and um, you know it, it's the whole concept of Eastern. Um, God or Eastern religion, or um, Buddhism, or Zen, or Taoism, um, has become much more popular. Do you think that that's in some way the response to
3: um, the victimhood that's been? Well, kind of but I think pe- you know, I think people want, a, want to improve their quality of life, mm-hmm. and 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 people eventually get to the point that the way they're doing it isn't yielding the outcomes they'd like so they uh, opened the conversation uh, but <laughs> I, I'm laughing here I, I got back from China recently where I started to where we have conversations about Zen we couldn't call it Buddhism of course
2: right right
3: but but it was amazing to even though you've got to work through translators you begin I began to realize that the uh, that the Chinese language actually is a richer language to have this conversation than perhaps English language because you know, they have this tradition of thousands and thousands of years of philosophy, Taoism and Confucianism, and, and wherein they look at these things as a philosophy to live by. So, so I think there's this, um, enough people get curious and we start to have the conversation, and I think that people are starting to get the idea right. that consuming more stuff will not make us happy. It
2: won't make us happy.
3: won't make us happy.
2: Yeah. And so let's move to your book success built to last, creating a life that matters. Um, in there, you talk about the three essential elements of success, which is built to last. And, and I, um, I get the sense that success built to last is different from
3: temporary success. Correct.
2: And um, can you talk about those three elements?
3: So, firstly, if we talk about success, what became clear is that for each of these people, it's a very personal definition. I mean, it's kind of scary if you look it up in the dictionary. The word "success" starts out by saying the attainment of goals, and we wouldn't argue with that. But then it goes on to say, especially the achievement of fame, power, and wealth. Oh my! And if you look at the, you know, these reality shows, or American Idol, or you know, yeah. all of these shows, that's kind of what they're promoting. Right. But what was interesting about these people is that was never their goal. And we interviewed 20 billionaires, and all of them said, I never set out to become a billionaire. Hmm. Uh, And we talked to a lot of people who weren't billionaires, but who would think of themselves as wealthy. And they would describe wealth as the experience of having enough without the fear of losing it. So these people lived according to their dreams, according to their passions, not according to their fears, Uh which was a very important distinction. I mean, And they were unwilling to settle for a life of doing something they didn't love. I mean, Buffett said it perfectly. He said, you know, the way way most people run their careers just bothers me. He said, they come up to me and say, well, you know, I don't like my profession all that well. In fact, I don't like it much at all. But I'll do it for another 10, 20, 30 years, and then I'll find out what I love to do, and then I'll do that. And Buffett said to us, well, that makes as much sense as saving up sex for old age. (laughs) I just thought that was a great line. (laughs) And I thought, well... Who said
2: that? Yeah. Who who said That, that?
3: Warren Buffett. <laughs> Warren Buffett, right? One of the richest men in the world. Yes. And and people say, well, it's all real for him to say that, right? He's got all this money. But Warren said, hey, listen, I lived passionately when I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I've always loved what I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was over and again what we heard. People were driven by... Getting in touch with what really mattered to them, what they were passionate about, what they loved to do. Hmm. And then they committed themselves to what we call a deliberate practice or a transformative practice of getting good at it. Hmm. And then that led to amazing things opening, what we call a serendipitous journey. I mean, I talked to, uh, you know, uh, our friend Stephen Covey. And I said, with all due respect, the people we talked to didn't start with the end in mind. Yes. I mean, the end in mind they started with was, this is what I love to do, I'm going to get good at it. Interesting. Uh, and that's a process rather than a goal. Right,
2: right.
3: And then the rest of it they describe as a serendipitous journey. People, these people telling us we could not have imagined when we started out where we are today. Could not have imagined. Some of them in fields that didn't exist when they started out, but living their passions took them on this serendipity journey,
2: right.
3: which led them on the fortune and to fame, but the fortune and the fame were serendipitous outcomes, not goals at the beginning of it all. Interesting.
2: Well, and, you know, the whole concept of living your passion, um, this comes up again and again, with people that I know, with clients, even on this show, um, people saying, if I knew what I was passionate about, I would do it. What do you think that's about?
3: Well, yes. So in the book, we have a section there we call the silent scream. I think that we have uh, we tend to be a nation that wants to listen to authorities. We're in love with celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, we're used to people telling us what we ought to believe and what things mean Mm -hmm. and I think we've just got separated from our inner self you know that's Mm -hmm. kind of psychobabble I guess Mm -hmm. but we just deny ourselves Mm. and and that little voice that we had as a child where one day you know when I grow up I'm going to do this or the thing that we kind of dream about when we wake up at three or four o'clock in the morning and can't go back to sleep and listens to that voice it's inconvenient and then we get we get the tyranny of competence we get competent at a job we don't particularly care for okay. but we're good enough at it not to get fired for a while and pay the bills
2: right right.
3: so we just get in this kind of rut right and these people just were unwilling to do that They, but there is a way to get in touch with the passion you know we, we have this thing called the passion test that we, we do with people when we coach and uh, our friends the Atwoods have got a major book coming out in September called the passion test and we're working on the passion test for business, to uh, which we deal with people on a regular basis.
2: Oh, well, we'll talk more about the passion test in just a moment.
0: You're listening to the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business.
4: Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.
1: The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity, but being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On The Economy and the Markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Markets. With Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world.
0: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: We're speaking today with Stuart Emery, author of Success Built to Last, Creating a Life That Matters, and one of the fathers of a human potential movement. So, Stuart, before break, we were talking about how people can find their passion, and you were beginning to explain uh, something you have available, which is called the Passion Test. Yes,
3: yeah, so that? we have we we do this uh, in business. We our friends, the would have done it for you know people with the Passion Test in their life, and we're doing a book called the Passion Test for business. Hmm. Uh, but Johnny and I, my wife, uh, we we uh, have this consulting business together, and mm-hmm. uh, and so we're in the companies and and we find out we ask people sometimes the word passion is a little bit strong but Jim Collins in good the great said you know great companies you get from good to great by figuring out what you what are you deeply passionate about what matters to you what do you care about what do you love to do and then assembling a team of people who are really good at all the elements it takes to build a business around that and understanding how that drives your economic engine if we take that down to a personal point of view We say to people, start writing down the things you love to do and look at your experience because there's an important distinction between the idea of loving it and the inner experience of loving it. Hmm. At S we used to say to people, you know, you don't experience your experience. You get in love with the idea of things, but you don't pause to notice what's going on in your physical body. Does it fill your heart with joy? Does it give wings to your imagination? or you're just infatuated with the idea of it. Hmm. So people kind of get that distinction as they go down into the belly and notice, I really love to do this, it fills me up inside. Oh, interesting. So, for example, we had a, we had somebody, at, uh, a client at MasterCard, and we were working with her, and we said, well, what do you love to do? Well, you know, in the summer I love to garden. Well, but it's the winter. What do you love to do in the winter? Well, I love to remodel my house. And I said, so what? Underneath all of that, we got down to the core of it, and this is the important distinction. Yes. It turned out what she loves to do is to make existing things better,
2: hmm.
3: and that got expressed as landscaping and making the yard prettier and the inside right. of the house prettier. Right. And she's she's a person. She's a computer person, a, a technocrat, and so we changed her job in the system, being in charge with improving the existing software releases. Oh, interesting. And, and she was, uh, we re- reorganized the job. Because Jim and Bill, the last talks, uh, in good, the great talks about you've got to get the right people and the right seat right. the bus. Well, how do you do that?
2: Right, right. It doesn't say. Right.
3: Well, how you do that is you've got to align people's core passions mm-hmm. or their core, this is what I love to do, mm-hmm. with the work that they're doing.
2: And, and do you refer to that also as people's talents and
3: gifts? Yes, but you know, the research in that is very interesting. The research says there may be no such thing as genetically targeted gifts. You know, Warren Buffett said, well, I popped out of the womb knowing how to allocate capital. And we said, Warren, with all due respect, that's nonsense. <laughs> I mean, I, there's, there's a person, Reggie, some of your others, in the NBA Hall of Fame. But right, he's five foot three.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: There's a world chess master with a measured IQ, the way we measure it in this country, of 90 I know a person who's a little person and forfeit something, she's a gold medal equestrian. Wow. So now all of that's should. How could they ever do that?
2: Yes.
3: Well it appears that if you develop the right deliberate practice to get good at something you love to do, you can become world class at it. Independent of what talent people think you have. Now we can't tell you why you love to do something mm-hmm. but notice what you love to do and then start a practice to get good at it.
2: Interesting.
3: And that is life-changing. That Mm -hmm. is, that's the cure Mm -hmm. for the spirit that people hunger for because getting good at something you love to do feeds your soul, nurtures your soul Mm -hmm. and transports you to living beyond the tyranny of fear. Right. And I'm convinced that most of what passes for evil in the world Mm -hmm. is people's reaction to fear. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So if people get transported beyond fear for living a life of deliberate practice of becoming masterful at what they love to do, it's a different experience to be with people like this and was so clear mm-hmm. to us and the people we talked to for the book.
2: You interviewed some very um, high-level leaders and people who are quite inspiring. Um, people like the Dalai Lama... Nelson Mandela, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, um and many, many more. Uh when you spoke with well, I don't know which one which which of the three of you spoke with We collectively um,
3: spoke to a lot of people, yeah. You spoke yeah. to a lot
2: of people, yeah. Um, the interview with Nelson Mandela, uh can you talk a little bit about what that was like?
3: Well, actually that was an interview that uh Mark Thompson did. He was at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Uh-huh. And he just remembers Mandela coming in and just feeling a great presence at end of the room. Hmm. Just being struck by the man's energy. And then what struck Mark was, here's a man who could have come out of jail as the most dangerous man in Africa, filled yeah. with anger yeah,
2: yeah.
3: and a desire for revenge, and that isn't what happened. Right. And hmm. so you talk to these people, and you notice at some point, their life becomes about creating a life that matters. Yeah. We talked to McCain about that. John uh, McCain. Senator McCain, you know, he mm-hmm. talked about his experience in in, in Vietnam where yeah. they almost killed him. Mm-hmm. Tortured him to the point of death on several occasions. Right. And he talked about being grateful for the transformation. Mm-hmm. Grateful for the personal transformation. And he could have been angry and resentful. He came back and... Uh, and supported amnesty for the draft dodgers. Wow! And here's a man, you know, who's going to—we who, knew was going to run for president—having a totally authentic conversation with us about his innermost experience and in his own personal transformation as a result of Zola being a prisoner of war. These are these astonishing stories, and people say, "How did you get them?" Well, we ask people three questions, basically. This is called, you know, qualitative research. answer, but all these people had personal definitions of success and I I, I remember interviewing Alice Waters, you may know a yes. her, the great restaurateur yes. rated even by the French as one of the 10 most important people in food in the world and I said to Alice I said, so what does success mean to you? We're sitting in shape in Eastern Berkeley and I watched her body contract away from me and I said, Alice, did I just offend you? and she said, no, no, she said, I guess I find the word success offensive in some way
2: oh interesting
3: and I, and I said well, but you're successful and she said you know Stuart all I ever set out to do was get really good at doing the things that mattered to me oh, there you go this was a theme everywhere Cheryl
2: fascinating we need to be teaching this in first grade
3: Oh yeah, I'm, elementary we're, school I'm, we're into a book now called whatever you are be a good one and I'm on a oh. cause on this one that's just, amazing. Yeah, just yeah. We need to be teaching in first grade. I'm going to yeah. turn this into a movement.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think about peop- so many people. I hear they like things and they like to do things, and then the next sentence is, "But I would never be able to make any money at this, yes. and I have to pay the bills." And so that's another, um, you know, myth that we're living in. And I love what you said earlier about we have to get underneath that. So if people could could. Find what it is within that passion that
3: applies to the world that can pay them money.
2: Correct. Um, You know,
3: it turns out. I mean, my favorite story in the book is with Tom Clancy, Ah. uh, who has the same publisher we do, Pearson. And uh, Tom Clancy had married uh, a woman whose family were in the insurance business, and he ended up, I believe, running the insurance agency. But he was in that business, and it wasn't his passion.
2: Excuse me, Tom Clancy writes.
3: murder mysteries and mystery... Well, yes, well, problems. that's the nice story, historian, I'll tell you. So, yeah. so, so he, you know, he wants to write. And people say, well, you don't write very well, and yada, 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 but he right. spends a little bit of time each week writing and reading history and fascinated by back technology, keeps getting rejection slips, and he cobbles together a book called The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> and the rest is history. Oh, my gosh. The last contract he signed with Pearson... Who, who owned Penguin, part oh, yes. the Economist, mm-hmm. the Financial Times. Mm-hmm. The last contract he signed, I think, was for a quarter of a billion dollars. Whoa. Wow, we
2: could learn from him,
3: couldn't mm-hmm. we? Yes. Now but he he did it wasn't the light switch. He didn't wake up morning and say, I'm gonna be this incredible author.
2: Uh-huh.
3: He just woke up one morning and said, You know what, I want to write, I'm gonna start doing something about it, I'm gonna mm-hmm. struggle to get good at it. Mm-hmm. And some people think he doesn't write very well, but it apparently it doesn't matter.
2: Interesting. Well, uh, you say in um, your writing that it's dangerous
3: not to do what you love. Oh.
2: Can you talk more about that?
3: Yes, because in the in, in this idea of the world is flat and of outsourcing and virtualization, if you don't do what you love, you'll be beaten by somebody who's doing what you do and is loving it. Ah. Mm-hmm. In fact... What, whether What you know it, it isn't a nice to have we talked to Larry Bossidy, who did this you know he was uh, I think uh, when he came out of GE I believe and he was uh, uh, CEO of Allied Signal and, uh, and he said uh, you know love word is not a na- nasty four letter word he said if people don't love what they do they will be beaten by somebody who does and if you're working for me and you don't love what you do I know there's somebody out there who will love it, who will yeah. work hard along the more yeah. creatively with more inspiration. Right. I'll simplify you and replace you.
2: Right, right. And it also affects people's health. We think, you know, we say that out loud all the time. Oh, you know, if you're not happy, then it's going to show up in your body. But the fact is, it is going to show up in your body.
3: Yes. Right? Yeah, it does show up in your body. And, and you know, people just deny themselves. And we found this was universal. I mean, Bosidy wrote a book called Execution, uh, warm fuzzy title for a business yeah, book, I guess. I <laughs> but he, but so you use the love word with him you think he'll throw you out but he doesn't he said, no you've got to love it And uh, uh, Jack Welch you know at the time Mark Thompson interviewed him was the most powerful CEO on earth he said you've got to love what you do and Frances Hasselblad who started the Drucker Institute now the leader the leader Institute uh, she's 90 something she does 50 keynotes a year she resurrected the Girl Scouts of America oh yeah And she turned up when we launched our book, we we, kind of rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, she turned up with a four-star general in tow, who said, you've got to love it. So, you know, people who you wouldn't expect to use the L word are using, you've got to love what you do. Now, so we'd say, "If, if you have trouble with the L word, let's use the passionate word. Uh, And and if you can't deal with either of those Really enjoy it would be good But you've got to dig down to get to What's underneath You've got to look underneath What's the core of that Because you might say Well I love to do this Well that's the expression of the core passion Like this woman said I love the garden I love to renovate the house But under that was the core What I love to do is take things and make them better Mm -hmm. And once she got to that It was easy to find a perfect match Between what her core love was And her work
2: well, people are not always successful at what they love. Um, sometimes there are failures along the way, and I want to get more into that. Oh, this,
3: um, this is a yeah. This is a really this is a perfect conversation that closes out with because it's you know the sixty four thousand dollar question or whatever.
2: Well, hold that thought.
3: I will. We will be
2: back in just a moment.
0: You're listening to The Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business.
1: Know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The winner's attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The winner's attitude. Switch me on.
4: Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune into profitable investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business.
0: From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're
2: speaking with Stuart Emery. Stuart, you um, have some... Uh, information about what happens when people fail. Uh, we were talking before the break about you know, people doing what they love. Even those people fail sometimes.
3: Well, well they fail a lot. Michael Dell described uh, at the beginning of Dell as a series of experiments, most of which failed. Hmm. Uh, he said none of which destroyed the business, but we got very good at failing and learning the right lessons. But Esther Dyson, a technology opponent, said you've got to always make new mistakes. So we found these people had a lot of failures. And if you didn't know better, you'd think they were losers. Our conversation with Jack Wurst talked about a failure. This was the new engineer at GE and he blew up a plant. And it was the foundation of a great career, what he learned from that and what he learned from his boss's boss who talked to him about it. And I, I don't know about you, but I used to be the, a founding member of Perfectionist Anonymous.
2: <laughs> I know that quote. Yeah, and, and
3: you realize how counterproductive that is. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but by my love favorite story about it, we interviewed um, a fellow called Ed Pennot. Ed Pennot started out as a uh, professor of chemistry, biochemistry at UC mm-hmm. Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Founded a company called Chiron that became a biotech monster. In a good way, I mean, just yeah. a great company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now he runs the Betty and Gordon Moore Foundation. That's Gordon Moore, as in Moore's law, and one of the original yeah, founders of yeah. Intel. Mm-hmm. So we're at the Moore Foundation in the Presidio, this wonderful building that they restored lovingly and ecologically greenly. Mm-hmm. And um, we're talking to Ed, and I say to Ed, so, okay, imagine that I'm a, a, one of your students at Berkeley. I'm about to go out into the world, and, and I need some advice that I may actually be able to use. He said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. He said, Stuart, you know, I am a great believer in fortune cookies. <coughs> and I just rolled my eyes. I said, what's with the fortune cookies? A the scientists, they believe in molecules and genes, not fortune cookies. He said, no, no, really. And I was a professor at Berkeley, I opened the fortune cookie and I read, whatever you are, be a good one.
2: Oh, well.
3: And he said, I've found that's the only advice I can give people and do them any good in business and in life. You see, because here's the thing. You you worry about the next chess move of your life. If that's all you do, you'll never get there, he said. But if you focus on getting good at doing what's in front of you, Mm -hmm. a couple of things will happen. One, people will notice. And when people notice you're committed to doing a good job, they'll open doors for you in the most wonderfully unexpected ways. Yes. On the other hand, you don't practice getting good at something even if you don't care for it. They won't think of you as a person who didn't get good at it because you don't care for it. They'll just talk about you as a person who does a bad job. Hmm. Now he said, if you try to get good at something and it's painful and you don't get through the pain, you'll know that's not your passion, that's not your love, that's not your calling. He said, but you know, another opportunity will come along and one day... You'll start getting good at something, and you'll get into the pain of it, the struggle of it, but there'll be a breakthrough, and you'll go into the zone, what they call a state of flow. Mm-hmm. And time will vanish. Mm-hmm. You won't know where it's gone, and you'll be filled up on in the inside. And you'll know that's your love, that's your passion. It's I started Kara and he said there were moments there in the early days where it was so difficult and so terrifying that would run out of money or we wouldn't get there. I'd have to sometimes stop on my morning jog and I'd throw up in the gutter. Oh my. He said, but it was my love for it, my passion for the cause of making medical breakthroughs available more rapidly to people who needed them. It was that cause that got me through the tough spots. And that's why you've got to love what you do. If you don't love what you do, you won't get through the tough spots.
2: Interesting, and so the you know the cliche yeah. um, feel the fear and do it anyway, correct um, works when you love it. Yeah, and
3: it's yeah. not even the fear; it's uh, the pain, the discomfort, whatever, whatever that is. The, yeah. They just the hard, the, the difficulty of it. Yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, but if you don't learn how to get good at things, you might bump into your calling. But because you don't know how to get good at it, you'll never get good enough at it quickly enough to have that breakthrough, and you'll have wasted your life, and that'll uh-huh. be a pity. Oh, George Leonard said, "He said the great tragedy in life is the undeveloped potential mm. living within every human soul, mm. and I think that that's true, and that's what we're trying to do something about."
2: I think we see that um, in a lot of places we turn in our world, yes. and um, I the work you are doing is fascinating, and I appreciate um, what you said about there's a lot of. Um, a lot of testimony to you know this is what we should do, but not a lot of help around how we should do it. And it, it sounds like the, that's where you're going. You really are helping people figure out how to do it, how to get to yep. the passion. Well, I mean, and it's,
3: it's it's like a, a Richard Branson. I just we just got a book from uh, their office. You he's a guy who started. Uh, there's great stories about him and successful to last, but he's started Virgin Brands. Right. And and these books called Screw It. Just do it, <laughs> or oh, screw it. Let's do it. And and at some point you've got to do it. We did a worldwide success survey, and we got uh, through the Wharton School, and and we got responses from all over the every continent on Earth within 24 hours. And we asked people who rate themselves successful, highly successful, or not very successful at all. It's amazing how transparent people were. Well, they all kind of said success. Was about the same thing, that it was about doing something that you like to do, that you love to do, being satisfied doing it, and making a difference. All of these people making a difference is where they had come to. And we got that in the Worldwide Success Survey. And the only difference between the people who were successful, or very successful, and the people who weren't successful is, they were actually living it, the successful people. They did it. Wow. You know, they didn't just talk about; they, they actually did it. it.
2: They actually did it. Well, so
3: in, in our in our book, we have three circles: meaning, you've got to get clear why. What am I passionate? What am I deeply passionate about? Thought style. I've got to see myself as I'm responsible for creating it. I'm not a victim. Hmm. And some some other thought styles, obviously, in the book hmm. we talk about. And then action style, and people who align thought and action. To passion and meaning have spectacular lives in the books about how to do that
2: well Stuart clearly you are passionate about what you're doing and passion is contagious and you make me really excited just to Thank talk you. to you Thank and you. I am very um, very much looking forward to your next book um, tell me again the.
3: well we've got two books in the works one's called uh, The Passion Test for Business and the other one's called Whatever You Are Be a Good One inspired by Ed Pennot at the Presidio and the the Moore Foundation and Presidio in San Francisco.
2: So we will look forward to
3: that. And your current book, very successful book, by the way. Yeah, it opened in Japan. I mean, they're on the third printing in six weeks in Japan. I can't believe it. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you.
2: So that's Success Built to Last, Creating a Life That Matters, uh, Stuart Emery, Mark Thompson, and Jerry Porras. Stuart, there is a website for that? Yes.
3: SuccessBuiltTheLast.com, that's That's easy. easy.
2: How easy is that?
3: How easy is that?
2: And people who want to contact you can go there? Yes, yes. they're stewarded
3: at SuccessBuiltTheLast.com and uh, there's there's a lot of video clips on there of some of these interviews with the Dalai Lama, Sir Richard Branson, Jack Welsh, uh, some great content there.
2: Wonderful.
3: And uh, there's even a test to see what style is most yours, whether you're a meaning person, uh, there or, you a go again. Style or an action style person.
2: There you go again. You're giving people a route to get to the, the real them. Thank you so much, Stuart, for being here today. We so appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. And remember, think big. The world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl from from Esposito.